Hey there, guys and gals, Hepcats, cool kittens, friends and foes. Good morning, Multiverse. This is Back of the Cereal Box. I am your host, the prophet of pop culture, John Pica. And on this week's episode, we got a special guest, Brian Judge. We're going to be talking about uh, all kinds of cool stuff, including Mandalorian Chapter 13 and WWE jobbers that deserve to be in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. But before we do that, we've got to acknowledge our sponsor, the Further Adventures of the League of Impossibles. Check this out, and we'll be right back. That was loud. Uh, that is uh, the League of Impossibilists. They are a sponsor of the show. That is the webcomic based off of my original cosplay group, the League of Impossibilists. They are time-traveling uh, paranormal superheroes defending the space timeline against supernatural threats of evil. evil. Uh, welcome to Back of the Cereal Box, where we try to recreate those classic Saturday mornings. If you're of uh, an age like I am, Saturday mornings used to mean breakfast cereal and appointment cartoon TV. And we would just sit around watching TV, eating cereal, and talking about cool stuff, toys, games. Uh, and then we'd hit the uh, the Atari 2600 after the appointment TV. And um, basically, Saturdays were a very unhealthy day for me growing up. But um, we were trying to recapture that, including a bowl of breakfast cereal. And this morning, a classic. Brian, Fruit Loops. Let me tell you something. Mm -hmm. There is nothing better than mm -hmm. the smell of a freshly opened box of Fruit Loops cereal. No, I Uh-oh, you froze up on me. Reese's Puff person myself. Uh I'm, I'm a bit more of a Reese's Puff guy. Uh, I have my little bowl right over here. I made sure to come prepared, and I am ready to talk about uh, everything you, you, you listed. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So um, I just want to point out that uh, most cereal boxes today don't have the, the games and puzzles and cool stuff that we had when I was a kid because we didn't have the Internet. We didn't have iPhones or iPads. This was our iPhone. This was our iPad and Fruit Loops. Still has cool games and puzzles on the back. There's this uh, maze of uh, electrical cords that you got to figure out uh, how to navigate and uh, all kinds of fun stuff on there. But as you guys watching may have noticed, um, we have a very special guest with us this morning, Brian Judge. 
And uh, Brian is a uh, creator of comics, uh, indie comics, web comics. And uh, I got turned on to his uh, web comic uh, diaries on Instagram. Very funny stuff. So, uh, Brian, introduce yourself and, and tell us where uh, where your stuff is, where we can find you, what your background is a little bit. And while you do that, I'm going to enjoy some Fruit Loops. All right. It sounds good to me. Uh, well, like you said, hi, everyone. I'm Brian Judge. I'm 22 years old. I am a graphic designer and a cartoonist. Um, where, where can you find everything that I do? Uh, if you check out Instagram, uh, I post 95% of everything I do online there. I chose sort of a bad uh, Instagram handle. It's hard to kind of say out loud, but it's one and only comics with uh, hyphen, no, not hyphens, uh, underscores instead of um, hy uh, spaces. Uh, confusing to always say, um, but uh, I'm, I'm sure you can, you know, uh, find me if you just type in one and only comics and I have an online store, uh, one and only comics.bigcartel.com. Uh, I just like creating comics. I've always loved comics ever since I was a kid. As you can see in my background, I have a uh, Gendy Tarkovsky's cage uh, and a bunch of other posters. Um, really, I, I enjoy making things. I enjoy telling stories, and comics are sort of my medium. It's um, I've always thought that comics are a really interesting medium because it's the one thing where you can be a one-man show and kind of really tell your, your big, grand story. Um, but really just make it a personal thing uh, that anyone can kind of pick up a piece of paper. You don't have to be a good artist. You don't have to be a good writer. But you can be a great artist. So <laughs> that's uh, that's my little mantra. And I have, uh, I have a few different series. Like you said, I do diary comics. I have a kind of a grungy superhero thing called Crime Killer, a, a little bit edgy. <laughs> and I have more kind of like kids appropriate things like Bounty Bob. Here's a little. I have a lot of a lot of different series. So. Uh, and this week's episode of Bounty Bot is a two-parter, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, the first part uh, left me wondering. Okay, I'm not quite sure what's happening, but then you told me there's a second part coming, and it will all make sense. So uh, I'm excited about that. Um, yeah. yeah, I. You know what I love? It's funny you is... that. What's that? Oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. We have a little bit of delay. Um, it's funny you mention that because right here, right next to me, like before I was on the podcast and uh, working on the uh, the second part. So are you uh, right now? So I'm so are you hand drawing everything or are you doing it digitally or a combination of both? Uh, I'd say it's a combination of both. Uh, personally, I'm very stubborn and lazy, so I should get into digital drawing. But to be honest, uh, there is something about just sitting down with a, with a piece of paper and ink and a pencil that I really enjoy. Well, enjoy. You know, I draw something, I ink it, and then I scan it online and then do a little bit of editing. So, Well, and that's that's what we're doing with the League of Impossibles webcomic. It's all on paper, uh, pencil and India ink. Um, Doug Aller pencils the pages, and it's not standard comic page size either, um, which is one of the things that is really cool about digital comics now. You don't have to be tied to that 11 by 17 Bristol board That's format right. anymore. You can do your own size, your own uh, kind of uh, format, and uh, he, he pencils the pages, sends me the, uh, the pencil artwork. I finish it in inks and write the story based on what he, what he's doing. Cause he just started drawing 
And uh, we're doing it backwards, uh, which uh, is kind of funny, but it's really working out well. But what I love about what you're doing is you are <clears throat> finding your own voice, your own vision, and then you're letting the fan base find you instead of trying to do what a lot of the, the big the big uh, publishers do. And that's, oh, what's the trend this week? <clears throat> how do we... How do we create yeah. something for, you know, a specific audience? And I think that's the wrong way to go about it. I think you need to find your own voice, your own vision, and then find the audience for your work, not the other way around. I, I agree. Um, except the only uh, there's one little problem that comes out of that is that you end up, um, at least on, on my end, I just making a lot of weird stuff that only I'm sort of interested in. I, I tell you... Um, uh, like, you know, I'm not going to say anything, no, uh, spoilers for, for what we may talk about earlier in the podcast, but I did make an entire comic, um, that was a series of diary comics based off my experience, the adaptation, uh, of the movie Willow for the Nintendo Entertainment System. I just found a copy right here next to me. Uh, so I, I know no one on planet Earth is going to care enough about the video game version of the movie Willow, but hey, you know what, if I'm having fun doing it, you know, that, that. It does have its own its own reward. So, and if somebody appreciates it, hey, that's great. <laughs> well, <clears throat> we'll get more into Willow in a minute, but one of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite movies. So, mm -hmm. anyway, welcome Brian Judge to the show. He's going to be my co-host this week, and uh, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. Now, one of the things I want you guys to do, if you enjoy the show, Drop a tip in our tip jar at PayPal, johnnydelaraca at yahoo.com. That just helps us make the show even better. And you've seen already, if you've been watching since the pilot, we've gotten better and better as we've gone along. Now, we've got quite a few viewers on. And as you guys are watching, please post a comment. Let us know that you are watching who you are because we are using StreamYard and it doesn't show us who is watching. So post a comment and we will interact with you guys throughout the show as appropriate. And we will get to viewer comments eventually. We got a lot to talk about this week. Um, so we've already covered a couple of things. The big topic that we're going to talk about uh, right now is the mind blowing uh, episode <laughs> chapter 13 of the Mandalorian, the Jedi. And in this episode, we finally saw a live screen adaptation of my all-time favorite Star Wars character, Ahsoka Tano. And if you guys have been following me for any length of time over the years, you know that I absolutely love Ahsoka and Rosario Dawson was absolutely perfect as Ahsoka. She, I swear, when Dave Filoni and George Lucas created Ahsoka, they must have had Rosario Dawson in mind because she was a perfect, perfect translation of the character. And um, Brian, I don't know about you, but I'm a huge Star Wars freak. Star Wars movies... Mm -hmm. basically set the course of my career. Uh, I'm much older than you, 
and I saw <laughs> Star Wars A New Hope. Uh, back then, it was just called Star Wars. In the theaters in 1977, I was in kindergarten, and when Darth Vader stepped through that doorway, I was like, I want to do that. And um, I didn't know what that was, but it, you know, set me he down the course of entertainment. What's that? He, he yeah, I wanted to be Darth Vader. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, well, when I was a kid, you know, I, I wanted to be Luke Skywalker. But as you get into as you grow older, yeah. yeah, as you grow older, you relate more and more to Darth Vader. You, you understand the Dark Lord of the Sith. Uh, as you get older, you see, I always related to the stormtroopers. Um, I always thought, like, man, those guys—they're—they're they're in there every day. They're doing their job. Like, those are the guys that I think need more credit. If I'm going to be honest, I, I always think they get a bad rap, you know, because they're—you know—they're the first guys to get shot down. They're always doing their job. They're always there. They're always looking good in their uniform. But hey, it's just me. But yeah, certainly no. in this latest episode of Mandalorian. Um, Interesting on a, on a whole bunch of levels. Uh, I, I was really surprised by a lot of things they introduced. Um, do you want to jump directly into it? Or? Well, let me ask you this. Um, we're going to try and be as spoiler-free as we can. but okay. um, <laughs> hard for this one. But but, but I'm not going to guarantee that we will be because there's some things we got to talk about that we can't talk about without giving away a few spoilers. So and, for everyone listening. Yeah. Um, so... Um, and and let me ask you, Brian, were you a fan of Clone Wars and Rebels, the animated series? Well, I guess uh, going back to Star Wars in general, uh, my family has always been really into Star Wars. Uh, uh, my oldest brother, uh, he was taken out of, ironically, kindergarten. I, I think it was kindergarten uh, when they were releasing the movies. Uh, and that's the one thing I'll always be envious of is that my dad, my, my dad takes my brother out to go see Star Wars and I, I'm sitting over here and I, I don't get that experience. Um, but, you know, I've always been in Star Wars. All in the last couple of years have I really sort of like got really into it. Um, I've, I've seen the Clone Wars and I'm, I'm personally just a big fan of animation. Uh, and I think that that's where the Clone Wars sort of gets me. I think it's an incredibly interesting show uh, for the things that have pioneered animation. I will admit I haven't seen the entire series, but I, 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 re I really want to. I really want to finish it now. It's all the things tying in Mandalorian. Um, Rebels didn't really do it for me. I, I tried getting that, show, but it, it sort of went in different directions. But um, I'm, I'm a well, fan of so, so Rebels, when I first started watching it, I was on the fence about it because it felt like it was being made for younger children. Yeah. But as that series went, mm -hmm. and as Ezra grew up, just like in the Clone Wars, as Ahsoka grew up, mm -hmm. the series grew up. And um, it became more intense, more you know substantial as it went. And um, the last episode, the season finale or series finale of Rebels, had one of my favorite moments in Star Wars history in the uh, post-log, the epilogue. Um, and if if you don't watch anything else about Clone Wars, watch the uh, final four episodes of the last season on Disney+. Plus. It is basically um, Star Wars um, episode 2.5 because it's all taking place or maybe 3.2, mm -hmm. 
because it's all taking place during episode three. Yeah. During the fall of Anakin and Order 66. <laughs> What's that, Brian? Mm-hmm. It, it's sort of um, like the connective tissue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we're having a little bit of an audio thing. No, that's all right. Certainly, um, that's, that's the interesting thing with Star Wars in general is that uh, every show, it, it feels like a lot of the newer shows, they have to be like in between certain parts. Um, you're either like in between uh, Return of the Jedi and um, uh, the, the new movies or A New Hope and uh, Revenge of the Sith. And you have a lot of interesting just little things you can do in the universe because of that, depending upon um, uh, uh, where they kind of take place. So we've already got a comment from uh, Magi Jake Lindsay. Uh, without spoilers, they dropped a big name that made people angry. All right, yeah. so let's get that out of the way. Um, they gave Baby Yoda a name. They gave the child a name. Uh, uh, should we Grogu. Grogu. Yeah, yeah I'm going to say it. Yeah, it's all over the net. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of people are upset about the name, and I can't figure out why. I mean, what else were you going to name him? Um, you know, do you have a better name? I, well, I you know, you're not. Go ahead. Oh, I, th- I think the frustration with that more comes from uh, the narrative that we've sort of been told so far, Baby Yoda. I, I do sort of understand it, but season one was made with uh, a really tight premise. And when you really kind of examine those characters, uh, just the Mandalorian himself and Baby Yoda, it's it's a very good dynamic. You have, obviously, you know, this mentorship sort of thing. You have this uh, lone wolf and cub, and got a, a samurai who has to carry on a baby. But um, you have Baby Yoda. He's a really convenient plot device. Uh, he can get you in trouble and out of trouble. So I can understand the frustration with saying this character that to this point has always been sort of like an aimless little baby who just kind of does what he wants to then say, well, actually, he's smart, he can think. I, I myself sort of questioned, how smart is Baby Yoda? Like, is he a toddler, or is he, like, conscious of the things that he's doing? Um, but I think that to complain about just his, his name, that's sort of a little bit of a not exactly important. But uh, I am still sort of impressed, and I, I like the direction they're taking. It's a little bit, like, sooner than I expected to kind of say that Baby Yoda is, you know, everything that he is, but I'm, I'm interested, so... Yeah, I uh, I thought they gave him a name earlier than I expected. Yeah, um, yeah. I would have expected that like the season finale. Um, but uh, you know, it, it is what it is. It didn't make me mad, um, and I can't figure out why people are mad about it. Um, and uh, hey, we got Jason Snyder watching along with Magi Jake Lindsay. Uh, welcome, guys. Uh, so that's the that's a big spoiler, but there were some other spoilers. A lot of things we learned in this episode. Uh, first of all, I want to say that the first four minutes of this episode is one of my favorite four minutes in Star Wars history. Um, I am a huge Ahsoka Tano mm-hmm. fan. Um, she is my all-time favorite Star Wars character. Um, and over the years, I, when I've appeared on Rebel Force Radio, I've... I've equated her to being kind of a a hybrid or a um, uh, what do you want to call it a not a hybrid kind of a stand-in a pro- uh, proxy for Luke and Leia because she's kind of a combination of their personalities 
And um, I, I've just loved her character arc. I've wa loved watching her go from, you know, plucky, naive Padawan to, you know, wise, chiseled, badass Jedi warrior. And in the first four minutes, um, showing her how badass she was, was for me very similar to that section of Rogue One when Vader is coming through the rebel ships and just destroying everybody. That That's the feeling I got watching those first four minutes. What did, what did you think, Brian? Uh, I got to say, um, well, building off of that point, um, I think that it's interesting that the show the show is obviously very much rooted in the idea of the Western. I mean, yeah. for God's sakes, the Mandalorian has like a bandolier around him. And this episode really felt like here's, here's a different show. Here's um, it, it's sort of well known that Star Wars is heavily inspired by Akira Kurosawa's. Um, mm -hmm. This really kind of felt like a similar idea. Um, oh my God. I just had the name in my head. People to Yojimbo. Um, Oh, that, that, oh. Uh, like um, uh, almost a, a Western meets a samurai film. Um, this, this is going to bother me. Uh, but just from like the setup about how the characters were uh, uh, introduced in the setting, it had sort of that. Sandro, Sandro is the film. Um, oh shoot! Uh, it, it had sort of that idea of sort of like a samurai sort of film, which I, I thought was a cool direction for the show to take. Um, definitely nothing that we've seen so far. Because the show, I think, has made sort of an effort to like hide lightsabers and, and sort of push a lot of the Star Wars iconography sort of to the sidelines. Um, to have everything in this, you know, you have uh, uh, so many things with with Yoda, uh, Baby Yoda, Grogu, whatever you want to call him, um, him Jedi's. Uh, there's so much sort of like things we haven't seen for like an entire like season. Um, to just That's be right. In. Yeah, Joe McKeel says, "I'm just waiting to hear him say." Grogu, I am. <laughs> Grogu, I am. Um, hey, Yoda, what's your favorite streaming site? Grogu? Um, yeah, that's funny. So uh, anyway, Ahsoka was a total badass. And even my daughter said, man, she is bad to the bone. And I'm like, I know. This is what I've been saying for years. Um, and I got to say, Let's just let's let's go here and let's look at this picture again. This is Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano. And you know, she is a perfect it is a perfect translation from the animation to live action. And she more. really Yeah, she really looks like Dave Filoni and George Lucas when they were creating her what, 10, 12 years ago, um, that they had her in mind to play her from the beginning because the the face modeling on, on the... I wish I had a graphic to post up of the animated version, but she just looks exactly like the animated version. It's It was perfect. And I, I got to admit, Brian... Um, I squeed like a little schoolgirl when I saw her, and uh, it was fantastic. And all the rumors were that she was only going to be seen for like 30 seconds. Like, mm -hmm. it was going to be a very small part. And it turned out she was, like, 
entrenched in this episode. And um, I hope we get to see more because, um, spoiler alert, it set up an additional storyline at the end for her to uh, go and find, uh, well, she's hunting, searching for Grand Admiral Thrawn, which is, if again, you had to have watched Rebels, the series finale of Rebels, that's how it ended with Sabine Wren, the Mandalorian, and um, Ahsoka going off to find Ezra and Thrawn, who had been, you know, like lost in hyperspace forever. I, you know, it wasn't really clear what had happened mm-hmm. to them, but they were they were going to go find them. Now, one of the big reveals we had was that Beskar, Beskar steel, which is what the Mandalorian's armor is made of, is invulnerable to lightsabers. Yeah, it makes you think of the Mandalorian's that much sort of sort of tougher, you know, with all of his armor. Um, did you did you sort of get the feel that from this episode it was almost like a backdoor pilot to a uh, Ahsoka TV show? Since that's sort of what I was sort of thinking in my head, like, man, this is this character is like so strong, and and they gotta have more of her, but like you can't. Um, she she almost steals the show a little bit too much from the Mandalorian, and I mean that in a good well, way, you know. Um, yeah. Um, as much as I might be excited about a Ahsoka series, live action series, I, I kind of hope they don't go that way. I would rather see her as a supporting character in this show returning um, because, you know, her her partner in crime, as it were, Sabine Wren, um, is, you know, part of the uh, house of Vizsla on Mandalorian or on Mandalore, and she actually ruled Mandalore for a brief period because she had the Darksaber. And um, we're, we're going to talk about that here in a minute too, but um, I would love to see Sabine and Ahsoka return um, as supporting characters. How cool would that be to see Cara Dune, Ahsoka, and Sabine Wren along with Bo-Katan, those four mm. ladies just kicking ass. Yeah. I'm a big fan of strong female characters, and um, I've been a huge fan of uh, Cara Dune, and to see the same treatment of Ahsoka is just, I like it a lot. Well, given the fact that half the characters you mentioned are already introduced in The Mandalorian, and again, that Dave Filoni is so heavily involved in the series, um, it, it sort of also probes the idea that, will you see those other characters? Um Again, what sort of made this episode interesting is so general of the season uh, really has not been scared to go and, and take uh, ideas that maybe people aren't as familiar with because everyone knows Yoda, but Ahsoka and and Bo Bo-Katan, right? That's her name. Yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, th- those are a little bit more obscure on on sort of the fringe, especially after it felt like that Rise of Skywalker really left people with a sour taste in their mouth for Star Wars. Um, the Mandalorian kind of came and said, here, we're not going to bother with all of those sort of complicated elements. Here's just a, a more simple adventure series for this season in general to go say, well, we've sort of earned your trust back. Here's some more of the obscure elements. Will they do that? Will we see characters like Sabine or Ezra or um, uh, <laughs> some, of the, some of the clone troopers from uh, uh, Clone Wars, especially since those guys are getting their own show with the Bad Batch? Will we see sort of more of a push with that or will 
you know, you try to go in a different, that's really sort of my hot take for this season is that it's, it's trying to like, we've earned your trust back. So we're going to ease into more sort of like the obscure star Wars things that maybe not everyone knows about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like that too. Um, I, but I don't, and Joe McKeel says, could this have been a pilot in a series episode, a backdoor pilot? It could have been. Um, and, and with all of the buzz on this episode, I'm sure Lucasfilm is going, we got their attention. Um, and, and it's probably a good sign. We'll, we'll have to wait and see, but, um, we, we, we learned Grand Admiral Thrawn is still out there and, uh, Ahsoka is trying to find him. So that, that was exciting. Um, the, uh, the, there was also something that I pointed out to the Rebel Force Radio guys last night. Um, and if you guys aren't watching Rebel Force Radio or listening, uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, you got to. Um, in the final scene, when Ahsoka is saying goodbye to the Mandalorian and she's telling him, hey, go to this Jedi temple. And, you know, if he connects with the Force, another Jedi may fi- hear him and seek him out. There, in the score, the music score, I don't know if anybody else picked this up, but there was, uh, you heard the Skywalker theme. Yeah, yeah. The show has been, yeah, for for something that, like, you you have so many iconic elements. I mean, obviously, the the soundtrack to Star Wars, I mean, uh, it's, it's like, the biggest thing in in a lot of ways. It's it's so satisfying to kind of hear that song again, that that theme, um, like, the perfect way to go and, like, end that sort of moment. Yeah, and and it was it was intertwined with the Mandalorian theme, and then as as the door is, you know, closing, you heard just a snippet of Duel of the Fates, the dark side, and so yeah, is 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 this giving us hints on what's to come in the series? I think my personal theory is that. There's only one place that Grogu can go, and that's to the new Jedi Academy that has been or is being established at this time by Luke Skywalker. And I think the series finale, the season finale, is going to end with uh, Sebastian Stan showing up as Luke Skywalker um, and taking Grogu into the temple. I... Maybe I don't know, but I think that theme song is, you know, that theme in the in the score indicates what we're going to see in the future. That's just my hope. It's my prophecy. Uh, we'll see. So your new hope, uh, Joe. Mc- yeah, my new hope. Joe McKeel says I've heard the Mandalorian is the Star Wars series we deserve. Do you agree? So okay, this is going to be controversial. Um, I had no issue with the sequels. Um, actually, I didn't like Force Awakens very much, but I, really? I, I like The Last Jedi a lot, and I love Rise of Skywalker. And I know fans have been divided, but, you know, um, I was a big fan of Rey, um, and uh, I, I liked what they did with her. I, I'm, I'm sad that toxic fandom kind of 
tanked the appetite for more Star Wars because they were huge successes financially and at the box office. But if if you just read online comments from these toxic fans, you would think it was a monumental failure. And the problem that we get with these franchises is that, you know, the fans have an expectation for one thing. And if the filmmakers and the writers don't deliver on that one expectation and do something different, then fandom gets in an uproar. And that's, that's what we saw with the, the sequels. But, you know, I was there when they put out the prequels and the same things happened then. And the same people were saying the same things then. And the, the prequel series, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, uh, Revenge of the Sith, those have aged really well with fans. And, you know, fans that hated Phantom Menace 20 years ago um, have, a, have a fondness for it today. And I think we're going to see the same thing with the sequel. So is the Mandalorian the Star Wars series we deserved? Um, yes, maybe, no, kind of. <laughs> um, uh, let's see, what did Jake say? I honestly don't like Star Wars that much. I just know of the new stuff from TikTok. <laughs> Jake, get off TikTok. It's Satan. Satanic. Get off of it. All right. Well, um, go I, ahead, Brian. Last thoughts? Well, this is sort of a, a question I've been sort of taking in the back of my head. Because we know that they're going to be making a, a show about Ben Kenobi. Um, yes. Character Ahsoka Tan. And obviously with Ahsoka and the Clone Wars, Obi-Wan is, is very much in that show included. And so is Darth Maul and all that. Do you think that they're going to try to, um, in the same way, I guess really only the, in terms of like cinematic production, Marvel is the only people you can really compare them to. Do you think they're going to try to connect uh, as heavily the lore between uh, the upcoming Ben Kenobi show and Mandalorian just by the fact that there is this new sort of, again, connected tissue uh, that's that's there? Um, he's Ben, obviously has a relationship with Ahsoka, um, has a relationship with the Mandalorians. Um, do you think that they're going to try to do that? Because that's sort of a, a bigger thing to take on, you know, certainly from a production level. Uh, you know, I would say that maybe yes, but um, I'm not sure that the the people in charge of the Kenobi series are as connected to the Star Wars lore as Dave Filoni and John Favreau are. Mm -hmm. And I have a bad feeling about, I have a bad feeling about this. Um, I have a bad feeling that Kenobi is going to um, ignore a lot of what they're doing with uh, the Mandalorian kind of the way Marvel TV and Marvel films did not get along for so long and did not acknowledge each other. That's changed under um, Kevin Feige. Um, yeah. and, and I just, I feel like unless they hand the reins of the entire Lucasfilm catalog over to John Favreau and Dave Filoni, which is what I think should happen, and Kathleen Kennedy exits Lucasfilm completely, I don't think we're going to get the connectivity that we want. Um, now, I could be completely wrong, but, um, but as Tony Snipe says... My brother, that's my twin brother right there, Brian, Tony mm -hmm. Snipes. And um, 
He says a crossover would be cool. It would be cool. But, Tony, uh, I don't know that we're going to get it. Um, and finally, Joe McKeel says, great show, guys. I got to run. We'll catch you on the replay. Awesome. Thank you, Joe Dog, for dropping in. And check out Joe's show, Stupid O'Clock, on Thursday nights and Saturday nights on Facebook. Just do a search for Stupid O'Clock. And, um, yeah, so a crossover would be great. Um, we'll have to wait and see, though, Brian. I would love for them to do that. Uh, I just don't know if they will. Um, I hope they do. I hope they're smart enough to see the opportunities. And th that was one of the frustrating things about um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe for me. I'm, As you can tell, I'm a huge Marvel shill, huge Captain America oh, yeah, fan. And I felt like Infinity War and Endgame, in particular Endgame, missed so many opportunities to really unite and reconnect the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I hope that Star Wars, you know, learns a lesson from them. We'll see. I don't well, know. Uh, just sort of like one last point before kind of moving on to the next subject, since we, uh, you, you said uh, like one last, like one last comment, like, like five times ago. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, the difference though with the Marvel TV shows and the Marvel Netflix shows is that they weren't handled in house. Um, the thing that I think is really interesting, and I'm not saying that there will be crossovers, but um, everything moving forward with Disney Plus, it's all going to be sort of in-house, made by the same people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Lucas Lucasfilms um, are going to be involved. Uh, so I, I, I'm certain you're going to have the same production value because I think that Disney mm -hmm. is smart enough to realize that we need something for our streaming service. We need something of quality. Um, whether or not they tie things in, that's, that's sort of the part that I, I'd be interested in. But I, I think that... I think it's interesting to see because that'll be sort of going to the Obi-Wan show is going to sort of see how all future Star Wars, Disney plus products come out in my eyes, whether or not they tie into continuity, if they want to be their own thing, because that's going to be the next big thing, you know, like, yeah. Well, <clears throat> here, here's, uh, you know, the rebel force radio guys, my buddy, Jason Swank in particular said, you know, the success of Mandalorian season one has given Dave Filoni and um, John Favreau, uh, bla basically a blank check to yes. do what they want. That the reins are off, and, and um, <laughs> yeah, and they're they're doing it. And every episode, I say, man, this has been the best episode of the show. And then it gets even better. Um, and Tony Snipe says crossovers are cool, but not necessary to tell a great story. And that's true. That's true. So uh, while we're talking about <clears throat> Star Wars and the Mandalorian. I got to share some cool finds that I found at uh, Comic-Con last week, uh, Gallatin Comic-Con. Well, go ahead. I want to So I picked up the Hera action figure from the Black Series. She was a character on Rebels mm -hmm. and um, was actually indirectly a character in um, Rogue One. There's a scene where they're getting ready and you hear uh, General Sendula, please report to so-and-so, and they're talking about her, uh, Hera Syndulla, uh, the uh, captain of the Ghost uh, from Rebels, also from Rebels. And this is what makes me hopeful about The Mandalorian. Uh, Sabine Wren, and they did an ultra 
ultra realistic version of Sabine, um, I almost feel like there is an actress out there with that face that we might see um, on The Mandalorian. So I picked up Sabine and Hera, uh, hard to find. But then the real gem, this is impossible to find, guys. And I found Boba Fett, the carbonized edition. You can't, th- these are impossible to find. And I listen, I paid the price for it, but um, to have it um, is, is a big deal. And I'm not a huge toy collector anymore. I don't buy everything. I buy only very specific things that I'm into um, and interested in. And like I said, I'm interested in the strong women characters. So I've got Ray, I've got Cara Dune, I've got Leia, and uh, I'll be adding Hera and Sabine. And hopefully I can find the Ahsoka Black C- Series figure soon. Um, they restarted the Black Series uh, back at number one, and I picked up number one, Darth Vader. I can't believe in all my love for Vader, I've got Vader, 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 Vader. I've got every version of Vader available. I did not have a Black Series Vader, so he's going on the shelf too. So those were my awesome finds this week. Um we're going to talk about uh, WWE jobbers here in just a minute. But before we do that, Brian, are you into board games at all? Yeah, yeah, I, I would say I am. I have, listen, I love board games because in our digital world, board games allow us to reconnect on a tactile level, you know, in an analog level. And, um, but, but some, sometimes it's hard to find a game that appeals to a wide audience. You know, I, I don't have a lot of gamer friends, um, board game friends. Um, so most of my friends that we play games with are what we call new gamers or non-gamers. And so I'm always on the hunt for board games that appeal to them. And I found this one this week, and we played it Thanksgiving Day and had a ball. It's called Last Defense. And Last Defense... It says the premise is right on the uh, front of the page. You have 20 minutes to save the city. You are citizens working together to save the city against giant tentacles, sentient plants, alien invaders, and um, uh, two others, giant monsters of different monsters of different kinds. It's and and it's got an app that you download on your phone, and the app has a soundtrack. And it has it breaks in with news stories that help guide the action of the game, and this was it's it's like it's like um, uh, if you've ever played the board game Horrified meets King of Tokyo, but um, it plays like a video game. It's a board game that plays like a video game, and. 20 minutes to either win as a team or lose as a team. And it was a ball. I will be doing a full review of this as a supplement uh, this week on the show. So uh, tune into the YouTube channel and see the full review. But if you're looking for something fun to do with the family, with your friends, this is, it's worth the, the $19 that I spent at Target. Um, it is packed full of fun entertainment. All right. 
So uh, let's see. Any more comments from our viewers? Uh, not yet, but guys, keep posting the comments. We love you guys watching. Thank you so much. And uh, make sure you, uh, if you like the show, drop us a tip, PayPal at johnnydelarocca at yahoo.com. Brian, there's a story uh, about that. Uh, that's kind of my stage name, nickname for years and years and years. And a lot of people identify me as Big Daddy Cool Johnny Delarocca. Um, all right. So now we're getting to the uh, part of the show where, Brian, you told me um, <laughs> you're not as well versed, but you did some research. And I love that about you. I love that you did research on um, on jobbers. So, well, hey, um, yeah, the, the fact um, the fact that you gave me uh, information to go by, um, quick, quick, very, very small tangent. If I can just say this, yeah, go ahead. The last, the last one was one of the worst podcasts I've ever done in my life. So the fact that you have an intro, the fact that you, uh, you know, wanted to talk like 15 minutes before the show, the fact that you had talking points, like, oh, thank God, this is this is heaven compared to the last one, last podcast I did. So horrible. There is no. They deleted the episode without telling me. Um, that's how bad it was. So, so just. I saw that. that, that that's why I'm time. coming in here. After. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, I recommend. Hey, yeah. If you if you want to go check it out, one only comics underscores and cinema spaces. Um, man, I really should have picked a better name. But uh, but yeah. Well, when it comes no, to job, look, you can you you can find your web comic just by typing your name, Brian Judge. It, it comes up on Instagram. All right, under your name. Well, hey, yeah. Uh, with an I, uh, J-U-D-G-E, just look that up. We'll post a link to your website here in a little bit, too. Um, all right, so what is a jobber? Do you know what a jobber is? Yes, I'm, I am I will say, uh, WWE wrestling, I'm not as well-versed in that, like you just said. Um, the jobber is someone who intentionally fails to uh, so that someone else will look better, right? Like if there's two guys in the ring, that's right. That's right. They don't call them. Uh, I always think of like a, a, a Martian Manhunter of all things in the Justice League cartoon. Uh, people love to call him a jobber because whenever you want to make the villain, <laughs> whenever you want to make the villain seem cool, you have Martian Manhunter says, "I'll attack him with my mind." Ah! And like he can never do it. Uh, it's like, oh my god, this guy's super strong. Even Martian Manhunter could take him on. When you do that every episode, it's like, oh, Marsh Manor, he just sort of sucks. Like, he can't do anything. You know what? That's a great topic. That's a great topic for a future episode. Because um, Martian Manhunter should be, like, super A-lister yeah, on, yeah. on the level of Aqua, uh, of uh, Superman. I almost said Aquaman because I think Aquaman should be on that level, too. But, um, yeah, that's a great topic for a future podcast. Thank you for that suggestion. Well, All right, so. Go ahead. Uh, but yeah, uh, jobbers, I only have one that I'm really super familiar with. Um, okay. And it's tying back to Star Wars is, I, I'm sure you know about Shockmaster, uh, the WWE yes. guy. He one appearance. <laughs> best thing ever. Or it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a large guy um, wearing a, a bedazzled Star Wars helmet. This is his intro. He like stumbles through the door or whatever it was. <laughs> that's well, that's he was, my number he was, one. I want to see more Shockmaster. Well, he was okay. So Shockmaster in the WWE was or WWF at the time was Typhoon Thompson. Typhoon. Um, 
big monster guy. And he got signed to WW or WCW, and he was going to be the Shockmaster. Big, huge debut, mm -hmm. breaking through the brick wall, and then he trips and falls <laughs> flat on his face on live TV and vanishes. Um, that was just an ultimate fail. Um, but the jobbers were these guys who were actually maybe more talented than the character than the other wrestlers they were uh, wrestling uh, characters. I call them, uh, and they don't call them jobbers anymore. They call them talent enhancement uh, positions now. But they were paid deliberately to lose, but make the 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 baby face the or the the heel the villain look really good. And so these guys were the best in the business, but they never won. They 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 always lost. And I'm going to start first. Uh we've got 1 2 3 4 5 6. 6. And I'm going to start with one of my favorite Leaping Lanny Poffo. Leaping Lanny Poffo was the is the brother of Randy Macho Man Savage. And Ooh, okay. he he was a high flyer. He was an acrobat. He um he could get out of any hold, and I mean he provided a lot of entertainment. And it wasn't until he became the genius Lanny Poffo that he started to have some wins in the ring. But even then, he was top of the middle at best. He was always better as an underdog that you were, you were always hoping was going to win, but just couldn't pull it out. Um, and he, he belongs in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Absolutely. These are jobbers that deserve to be in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, the WWE Hall of Fame. Next is the Young Stallions, Paul Roma and Jimmy Powers. Um, these guys were you know they they were consummate jobbers but Jimmy Powers was one of the strongest dudes in wrestling Paul Roma had this vertical uh uh drop kick that was unbelievable the dude could jump like nobody's business and they only had one major win as a tag team and that was at uh, Survivor Series. They were part of Hulk Hogan's team. And uh, they and Hogan won the match. Um, and then they vanished. Um, they have this major win, and they didn't get any kind of a push after that. They, they vanished. They went from jobbers to main eventers to vanishing. Paul Roma ends up going to the WCW and actually joined the Four Horsemen and He's often made fun of that because he didn't get over as a four horseman either. But these guys deserve to be in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. And those of you who are watching, you know, post comments whether you agree or disagree. Now we get into the real meat and potatoes. Special Delivery Jones. This guy has the dubious record of the fastest loss in wrestling history in uh, WrestleMania one. I think it was WrestleMania one or maybe WrestleMania two. I forget. He lost to King Kong Bundy in seven seconds. 
And so he's got that dubious distinction. But this dude was unbelievably good in the ring. He um, was strong. He was fast. And he really made he, – he was one of those guys that, like you're talking about, the Martian Manhunter. Oh, my God, if they can take out S.D. Jones, they can take out anybody. And um, Special Delivery Jones, he's no longer with us, sadly, but he definitely belongs in the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, Next, and do any of these people ring a bell to you, Brian? I know you're not big into wrestling, but... I'm sorry, these are all new names for me. (laughs) That's all right, that's all right. Iron Mike Sharp. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying that it's, it's interesting hearing about this. Yeah, I mean, because these guys were so good at being bad um, or at losing, but they made everybody look good. And Iron Mike Sharp, I mean, this dude, he deserves an Oscar for his performances in the ring. Um, Not only did he, you know, sell the – I mean, he looked like a super tough guy. He looked like a street brawler that came off the, you know – the, the streets of Brooklyn or, uh, you know, Edinburgh, Scotland, or, you know, Dublin, Ireland. And uh, he, uh, he was big, he was mean, and he had this, this brace on his arm that he wore on his arm that he would hit people with and just totally smash them and destroy them. But at the end, like the Martian Manhunter, he could not overcome his opponent in the ring and he uh, would be pinned, but it would be a hard fought victory. And look at the end of a match with iron Mike Sharp, you knew that that, that superstar that was being put over had been put through the ringer. He really was a great technical wrestler. He knew his stuff inside and out and he knew ring choreography uh, so well, and he just really knew how to put over new talent. Up next is Steve Lombardi, the Brooklyn Brawler. And again, like the Young Stallions, like Lanny Poffo, he was a jobber who had some success. Um, They tried to push him into main event level. He became a mid-carder at best. But just like Iron Mike Sharp, this dude, he knew how to make the, uh, the, the talent in the ring look fantastic. Um, he was, again, a real-life tough guy. And he was one of those guys that would take a real hit. You know, he would tell, tell the, the talent, the superstar talent that was, he was jobbing to, man, hit me for real, kick me for real. Make this real. And um, he took a beating, but so did his opponents. And just like Iron Mike Sharp, you knew when someone beat Steve Lombardi, the Brooklyn Brawler, that they were, you know, on the rise. But then we have to give the number one spot to the king of the jobbers, Barry Horowitz. Barry Horowitz... has an impressive win-loss record of 300 
to one. 300 losses to one win. And this dude, though, he is definitely the king of the jobbers. He had the most developed in-ring character. He would come out and he would give himself the his own pat on the back. Um, he was uh, an Orthodox Jew, and he, he uh, incorporated that into his ring attire and into his character. Um, and uh, the dude was uh, in phenomenal shape. Uh, smaller than than most of the other WWF wrestlers at the time, but in phenomenal shape. Had a great physique. He uh, he was a high flyer. He could um, you know get down on the mat with everyone. And again, like Brooklyn Brawler and Iron Mike Sharp and SD Jones, masters of in ring choreography and uh, just understanding you know when to hit the mark and how to guide that superstar talent uh, to, to be a superstar. And, um, you know, back in the day, these guys were, they were kind of the stormtroopers of, of, their, of their league, right? They, they were guys going out there. All they wanted to do was do a good job, get paid, you know, go home to their wife and kids. Um, and um, at the end of the too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, they helped make some of the biggest superstars in wrestling history. And for that reason, I believe that they all deserve to be in the WWE Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Now, Larry Hoy says his favorite jobber was Hercules Hernandez. Now, this is an interesting point, Larry. Hercules Hernandez started as a superstar, as a monster, uh, brought in by Bobby Heenan. He was, you know... He was a big time winner. You know, he was a superstar. He was winning. He was a um, at the top of the the uh, headliner charts, and then he fell to the mid Carter, and then he ended his career as a jobber, losing to uh, other rising superstars. That it's kind of a shame that that happened to Hercules, because uh, as part of the uh, Heenan family, he was epic. So uh, anyway. Do you guys agree or disagree with my list of jobbers who deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? I hope you do. Now, we only have a few minutes left, Brian, and I promised that we would get to your um, your comic uh, based on – this is an adaptation of the video game version of the – Of the movie Willow, yes. Um, All right. Uh, well, Take it away and tell us all about it because I love Willow and just recently mm-hmm. rewatched it with my son. And uh, it's one of my uh, favorite sci fi fantasy movies. So tell us about your take and your work on Willow. Well, uh, first, I just want to say while you were talking about WWE, uh, this is a, a rough little sketch, but I, I don't know, maybe you're going to kick out of it. So uh, there you go. Sort of, he <laughs> was a. Uh, as a, as a Twilight, um, just for fun. <laughs> not not the best drawing, but that, that's what I was sort of doing while you were talking. Um, yeah, Willow. Um, oh, uh, where'd you go? I I I uh, hit the wrong button. Uh, that that sketch is oh, off. There you go. All good. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, I think that Willow is an interesting movie, um, just because it's sort of in a lot of ways 
you always hear about how the original Star Wars is like, uh, oh, you know, there's so many things against it. We never saw anything like it. Like uh, the the cuts of the movie was so close to being like a failure. It shouldn't have worked on, on this and that. Um, Willow is sort of like the alternate universe. What if Star Wars didn't work? And what if people weren't sort of grabbed by it? Because certainly there's a there's an incredible like cult following for the movie. I mean, you yourself are a fan and I made a little book about it. But um, it, it's... George Lucas, he does after Return of the Jedi, you know, kind of a kind of a big deal. George Lucas can do a fantasy movie. I mean, Ron Howard directed it, but in reality, like George Lucas is the guy like really doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. It's a lot of his crew and his notes. And uh, Warwick Davis is someone that he that he personally wanted to make a movie for. Um, and it's incredibly cool. Um, fun fact about the movie. It has the most amount of dwarves out of any movie ever. It just has has the most. Uh, so to go and make an entire little movie. Um, pun not intended uh, for this this child actor and I, I just think it's an interesting thing because when you look at Lucas films they don't really have a lot of movies because they don't really need a whole lot you have Star Wars and you have Indiana Jones and you have Willow and Willow is sort of like the outlier of you don't hear people talk about it um, well, and Howard the Duck. Don't forget oh, Howard, yeah, the yeah, Duck. Howard the Duck. But in terms of like original things, like it's it's really just Willow, Indiana Jones, and Star Wars. And the the allure of George Lucas is going to do a fantasy sword and sorcery movie, like that is so interesting. But the movie itself, no one really sort of talks about it. Um, uh, and I thought that, that I, I for like five days, um, like a few years ago. I, I was like, this is, I, I just want to invest myself in this. Um, and I found out there's a video game and I found out that the rabbit hole for the Willow video game is deep. Uh, that first of all, it is an amazing game. If you like Zelda clones, it is like, it is, it is one of like the later games that come out for the NES, but it is amazing. Like it, it is perfected the, the Zelda formula, um, but it's not, the story. They they change the story. They make Willow the chosen one in the story. Yeah, forget about that baby. No, about like this 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 one game. Okay. It is so clever. It recontextualizes moments in the Willow movie that maybe didn't hit as hard, but it takes those little moments here and there and changes up the plot. But it it, it figures out ways to like tell a story in, in a game. In ways I've seen before, like it's if if you watch the movie Willow, um, which is a pretty pretty good movie, I, I'd say I, I have my problems with it, but uh, it's it, it's still interesting regardless. The the Willow game of all things in the world, it's such a interesting companion piece. Meeting characters and you reenact certain scenes from the movie, but not all of them. Like it's it, it takes different directions, and I, I just think that's so cool. Uh, I mean, I could talk for hours. Also, hey, shameless plug, go buy it on my store. Hey, whatever. I didn't say that. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's my connection. So uh, yeah. So so, what is the uh, the the web com or the comic adaptation that you did? Is it strictly an adaptation of the game, or is it original commentary on the game? Or um, talk to us about that because I've got your your page. On the uh, screen below, mm -hmm. oneandonlycomics.bigcartel.com, where you can go and you can buy Brian's work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's a well. At the time, I was getting into diary comics because I sort of had a 
had a transition from more traditional mainstream comics in the last couple of years to um, to more independent works. And I sort of thought, if I'm going to make a diary, the most obscure thing, because everyone, everyone sort of makes diary comics about their life. You know, it's like, oh, I woke up and uh, I don't know, I woke up on the, on the wrong side of the bed. Like, wait, that, I'm not saying those are bad, but like anyone can sort of do that. I want to pick something nobody in their life is ever we're going to talk about it. I'm going to sit down. This is also like during my exam in college. Uh, and I'm, I was an art major, so I didn't really have exams or, or finals. Um, so I sort of just, there was a week of my life. I did nothing but eat donuts and play the Willow video game. Uh, lights turned off in my apartment. Just, just, I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta be, I look up cheats online. I'm just going to go through with it. Uh, and that was just a, it was a fun thing. I thought, this is this is such a dumb topic. This would be fun to make a little comic out of, just because I, I just thought it was like mind blowing. Like, why is this one entertainment system? You know, from how many years ago, based off of a movie, people generally uh, wouldn't really say like it's the most popular thing in the world. Why is this so interesting to me? Uh, I just thought that'd be cool. So, so it's basically the story of you investigating, going down the rabbit hole. And playing the Willow game for a week nonstop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. So, and uh, that uh, that book uh, got me into a convention. Um, somebody saw it and was like, "Hey, I like the Willow video game." Uh, <laughs> and then it was like, "Yeah, okay, I, w- I want you to show up here." It's funny. I've had like I've had like two or three people like play the game because of the comic, which I was like blown away by. Like, holy holy crap, you know, someone's reading this and, like, thinking, this is cool. <laughs> so, <clears throat> well, hey, if I turn on we've got I, I turn an, a good game. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we've got an, we've got an NES upstairs, and I've, I've never played the Willow video game. Um, I didn't even know that it existed until I met you. So, uh, yeah, I, we're going to seek it out. We're going to go, you know, see if we can find it in a secondhand game store and um, mm-hmm. give it a whirl. Also, he's best friends with a talking uh, a, a giant talking pterodactyl who flies him around like villages to villages. It, okay, I'm, I'm not gonna say Willow the movie's bad, but like it's sort of disappointing when you kind of like think, oh, George Lucas is is involved with this. I expect like like everything's like extreme. Like you have so many like people and makeup and monsters. Um, didn't really deliver. Oh, game is like, man, you know, Willow is best friends with a giant talking pterodactyl. He meets a lot of skeletons that he befriends. Like, like that's sort of the stuff I was expecting in the movie. So it, it, well, it kind of scratches that itch. That well, um, fun few facts about uh, Willow. It was uh, Ron Howard's directorial debut. Um, so really? uh, Luke, yeah, Lucas uh, let Ron Howard take the reins on that for the first time. Uh, and of course, the legacy of that is Ron Howard's daughter, uh, Dallas Bryce Howard, is uh, one of the uh, creators of The Mandalorian. She's directed several of the episodes um, and uh, got that Lucasfilm well, uh, heritage. And well, there's, there's also, uh, yeah. Oh, yep. Go ahead. There's a, there's a series coming. There's a Willow TV series coming. Yep. Yes. Right. <laughs> it is in development right now. Which I was, I, I swear to God, like the day after I, I printed the Willow book that I made, 
that is when I heard, oh, they're, they're making a show out of this. I'm like, of course, of course, like this thing I chose to be obscure on purpose is going to have a, a Disney Plus show. But um, you are That's overlooking good. one thing you're talking about, uh, about Ron Howard. He's a connection to Lucas. He was in American Graffiti and he directed yeah. Solo. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I did forget that. So, Excellent. Well, check out Brian's work at oneandonlycomics.bigcartel.com or find him on Instagram, just uh, at uh, Brian Judge. It will bring up One and Only Comics and uh, follow him. Check him out. Buy his products. Please. That's why we had him on here. Buy his products. My Instagram handle is also on my online store, I think. So if it's hard to find, I think you can find yeah, I now I, I I will premise this that um, some of uh, Brian's work is uh, a little bit more mature, so uh, yeah. not everything is for kids. But um, the Instagram stuff I think is pretty safe. So uh, give him a look and uh, pick out you know check out his books and uh, buy some original comics. Let's support our indie creators, and uh, that would mm-hmm. be awesome. And um, while you're at it, check out my website, John Pica at, oh, that's my email address. But hey, if you want to be on the show or if you want us to feature a product on the show, uh, check that out and um, give me, drop me a line at John Pica at johnpica.com. And I would love to talk to you. Uh, we're going to be reviewing some products in the near future. Larry Hoy, who uh, posted a comment earlier, has a new book coming out. We're going to be reviewing that in future episodes. And uh, next week, we have um, another guest, a uh, gamer girl who uh, has quite a Twitch following. Uh, Aubrey Brewster will be here, or Aubrey Brewer, I'm sorry, will be here with us next week. So uh, tune in to Back of the Cereal Box. And uh, Brian, thank you so much for being with us. Would you mind if I did last little shout out? Or uh, go ahead. All, uh, wrapped up with time. No, go ahead. Yeah, I, I say um, if you're interested in indie comics, there is a really good group on Instagram. They are the uh, the Indie Comic Union. I just type that into Instagram. They're a really cool group of people. Uh, as an independent cartoonist myself, who sort of gained traction a little bit on Instagram, uh, the Indie Comic Union, great group of people. They're having a really cool event going on. The Indie Comic, what is it? Yeah, the Indie Comic Team Up, where they're going to be drawing other people's characters in iconic uh, comic covers. Uh, a cool event, really great people, and I'd recommend you you check them out. They are worth it. So that's all. Indie I'm say. Comic Team Up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because look, hey, look, you know we're doing the uh, League of Impossibleist web comic, but it's just the two of us right now. I need I need to find more creators to help us with that. Well, hey, that's so the, uh, so I'm always going to plug them. So. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. I'm going to find them right now and uh, uh, connect with uh, some more indie comic creators, indie comics team up. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Brian, for being with us. I hope you've had as much fun as uh, we've had uh, having you with us. And uh, before we leave any. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We have no more listener comments, viewer comments. We're a little bit over time, but hey, that's how it goes sometimes on these things. Uh, Make sure if you like the show to share it with two or 300 of your closest friends and family, Uh, share the links on YouTube and Facebook and uh, just 
Instagram, across your network, get people to tune in, subscribe to the channel. And um, next week we'll be announcing a giveaway to our subscribers. So if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you uh, click subscribe and post a comment. And uh, next month we'll be uh, giving away a bunch of cool swag. So uh, you want to be in that drawing. And with that, on behalf of uh, Brian Judge and um, all of our uh, upcoming guests, I will say thank you for tuning in. And until the next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. This is the way. Welcome.